Chapter 18 of In the Cage by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett. Mr. Mudge had lately been so occupied with their famous plans that he had neglected for a while the question of her transfer. But down at Bournemouth, which had found itself selected as the field of their recreation by a process consisting, it seemed, exclusively of innumerable pages of the neatest arithmetic and a very greasy but most orderly little pocket-book, the distracting possible melted away, the fleeting absolute ruled the scene. The plans, hour by hour, were simply superseded, and it was much of a rest to the girl, as she sat on the pier and overlooked the sea and the company, to see them evaporate in rosy fumes, and to feel that from moment to moment there was less left to cipher about. The week proves blissfully fine, and her mother, at their lodgings, partly to her embarrassment and partly to her relief, struck up with the landlady an alliance that left the younger couple a great deal of freedom. This relative took her pleasure of a week at Burnmouth, in a stuffy back kitchen and endless talks, to that degree even that Mr. Mudge himself, habitually inclined indeed to a scrutiny of all mysteries, and to seeing, as he sometimes admitted, too much in things, made remarks on it as he sat on the cliff with his betrothed, or on the decks of steamers that conveyed them, close-packed items and terrific totals of enjoyment, to the Isle of Wight and the Dorset coast. He had a lodging in another house, where he had speedily learned the importance of keeping his eyes open, and he made no secret of his suspecting that sinister mutual connivances might spring, under the roof of his companions, from unnatural sociabilities. At the same time he fully recognized that as a source of anxiety, not to say of expense, his future mother-in-law would have weighted them more by accompanying their steps than by giving her hostess, in the interests of the tendency they considered that they never mentioned, equivalent pledges as to the tea-caddy and the jam-pot. These were the questions, these indeed the familiar commodities, that he had now to put into the scales, and his betrothed had in consequence, during her holiday, the odd and yet pleasant and almost languid sense of an anticlimax. She had become conscious of an extraordinary collapse, a surrender to stillness and to retrospect. She cared neither to walk nor to sail. It was enough for her to sit on benches and wonder at the sea and taste the air, and not be at Cocker's, and not see the counter-clerk. She still seemed to wait for something, something in the key of the immense discussions that had mapped out their little week of idleness on the scale of a world atlas. Something came at last, but without perhaps appearing quite adequately to crown the monument. Preparation and precaution were, however, the natural flowers of Mr. Mudge's mind, and in proportion as these things declined in one quarter, they inevitably bloomed elsewhere. He could always, at the worst, have on Tuesday the project of their taking the Swanage boat on Thursday, and on Thursday that of their ordering minced kidneys on Saturday. He had, moreover, a constant gift of inexorable inquiry as to where and what they should have gone and have done if they hadn't been exactly as they were. He had, in short, his resources, and his mistress had never been so conscious of them. On the other hand, they never interfered so little with her own. She liked to be as she was, if it could only have lasted. 
she could accept even without bitterness a rigor of economy so great that the little fee they paid for admission to the pier had to be balanced against other delights. The people at Ladles and at Thrupp's had their ways of amusing themselves, whereas she had to sit and hear Mr. Mudge talk of what he might do if he didn't take a bath, or of the bath he might take if he only hadn't taken something else. He was always with her now, of course, always beside her. She saw him more than hourly, more than ever yet, more even than he had planned she could do at Chalk Farm. She preferred to sit at the far end, away from the band and the crowd, as to which she had frequent differences with her friend, who reminded her often that they could have only in the thick of it the sense of the money they were getting back. That had little effect on her, for she got back her money by seeing many things, the things of the past year, fall together and connect themselves, undergo the happy relegation that transforms melancholy and misery, passion and effort, into experience and knowledge. She liked having done with them, as she assured herself she had practically done, and the strange thing was that she neither missed the procession now nor wished to keep her place for it. It had become there, in the sun and the breeze and the sea smell, a far-away story, a picture of another life. If Mr. Mudge himself liked processions, liked them at Burnmouth and on the pier quite as much as at Chalk Farm or anywhere, she learned after a little not to be worried by his perpetual counting of the figures that made them up. There were dreadful women in particular, usually fat and in men's caps and right shoes, whom he could never let alone, not that she cared. It was not the great world, the world of cockers and ladles and thrups, but it offered an endless field to his faculties of memory, philosophy, and frolic. She had never accepted him so much, never arranged so successfully for making him chatter while she carried on secret conversations. This separate commerce was with herself, and if they both practiced a great thrift, she had quite mastered that of merely spending words enough to keep him imperturbably and continuously going. He was charmed with the panorama, not knowing, or at any rate not at all showing that he knew, what far other images peopled her mind than the women in the navy caps and the shop-boys in the blazers. His observations on these types, his general interpretation of the show, brought home to her the prospect of Chalk Farm. She wondered sometimes that he should have derived so little illumination during his period from the society at Cocker's. But one evening, while their holiday cloudlessly waned, he gave her such a proof of his quality as might have made her ashamed of her many suppressions. He brought out something that, in all his overflow, he had been able to keep back till other matters were disposed of. It was the announcement that he was at last ready to marry, that he saw his way. A rise at Chalk Farm had been offered him. He was to be taken into the business, bringing with him a capital, the estimation of which by other parties, constituted the handsomest recognition yet made of the head on his shoulders. Therefore their waiting was over. It could be a question of a near date. They would settle this date before going back, and he meanwhile had his eye on a sweet little home. He would take her to see it on their first Sunday. End of chapter 18